0: Welcome to the third season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. This ministry is here to teach you Bible truth. Teaching truth allows you to grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. I sometimes read entire books in the Bible so you can know the story, not just the scripture. I also teach a series about a certain subject, so I want you to invite family and friends. Get your Bibles, grab a pen and paper so you can take notes. Now sit back, relax and learn Bible truth. Hi Saints, today is March the 5th of the year 2022. I am your humble host and teacher of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. Now, I will not be teaching today. I will be back with a new episode, possibly a new short series on March 20th. But today I will be sharing a powerful message from my brother in Christ. His name is Frederick K. Price, Jr., and of course he is none other than the son the heir to the late great apostle frederick kc price senior who went on to be with the lord on february the 12th if i'm not mistaken of 2021. hallelujah i will be sharing a message from um like i said a few seconds ago from my brother in christ uh frederick k price jr now, he is teaching a series on this message. It is called The Up and The Down. I really don't know which episode this is. What I do know, Saints, is that he teach Bible study every Tuesday morning and Tuesday evening. This is a part of the Tuesday evening series entitled The Up and The Down. Now, in this episode, uh, particular episode, he is going to share some information on how, if you misunderstand a scripture, how a denomination can be created by misunderstanding a scripture. Now that is not what this episode is about. However, he will talk about it and he will use a scripture that I am quite sure a lot of you will be familiar with. And let me make this disclaimer for him and me, because let me tell you, he is bold when teaching the word of God, just like I am. We have no fear. We don't care whose toes we step on. However, what we have in common is that we love God's people. We are not condemning people. We are condemning the teachings that was created years ago, hundreds of years ago, by people who misunderstood scripture and created denominations. Now denominations divide God's people. Not everyone who is in a church per se, a church quote unquote, is sent by God. Not everyone who claims to be a leader is sent by God. Not everyone who claims to be a teacher in the body of Christ is sent by God. And one of the best teachers I think In the body of Christ today, besides myself, because I consider myself a, a, a very good teacher in this word, is Fred K. Price, Jr. He is an excellent teacher. He doesn't sugarcoat. He tells it like it is. And he is an advanced teacher. His teachings are not for everyone. If, if you don't want to hear scripture rightly divided and completely broken down, he is not the teacher for you because he will completely break the scriptures down. However, he uses the, uh, some scriptures that were removed from the Bible as well, just like I do. It's called the Apocrypha. He will be reading a passage from the book of Enoch. Now, these were scriptures originally in the Bible. And I will let him explain all of that. So without further ado, here is my brother in Christ. He is the pastor and teacher of Crenshaw Christian Center located in Los Angeles, California, and Ever Increasing Faith Ministries. You can also listen to a lot of his teachings on YouTube on the EIF Ministries, Ever Increasing Faith Ministries. So here we go with Bible Truth.
1: Alright, I know some of you may be watching the State of the Union address, or maybe you're attempting to do both. I was able to see the first hour, so I'll uh, uh, watch the rest later. But uh, if some of you are distracted, listen, I, I get it. Whereas some of you, you're completely and totally focused on the lesson at hand. No judgment here, family. So let's go back to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Let's look at verse 13. And I think I got some pretty cool images for you tonight. This stuff's really uh, fitting for the lesson. So let's begin with this 13th verse. Matthew 16, which reads, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Propulsion blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, this cannot be revealed to you by natural means, but rather supernatural means. And I also say to you, You are Peter, and on this rock, this rock of truth, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Okay. What do we have here? We have a number of things that we want to point out. Last week I focused some attention on what did, did Messiah mean when he said, I say that you are Peter. And uh, on this rock, When which rock was that? Was Peter the rock that he was referring to? Or... Was the rock something else? And we established that the rock was indeed something else. Uh, The rock was actually the rock of truth spoken out of the mouth of Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Messiah said on that, on that truth, on that rock of truth, I'm going to build my church. Not I'm building my church on Peter. But because many believe that Christ was saying." I'm building my church on Peter, that meant Peter was held in a position of high authority, much higher than all the other apostles. And because he would eventually become the bishop at Rome, the pastor or elder at Rome, that implied 300 plus years later when the the organized and institutionalized Roman Catholic Church came into existence... And it was established that there be a holy father, uh, an individual who occupied a, a very high seat of power in the church. This is on top of the fact that running with what Ignatius said in 107 AD, that the church universal was the Catholic church. Of course, Ignatius wasn't talking about the papacy Uh, He was not talking about some Holy See. He wasn't talking about Vatican City or St. Peter's Square. He was simply talking about the universal church, the church as a whole, Catholic. Not a separate denomination or religious movement. But the established Catholic Church looked back at Peter, looked back at Matthew 16, observing that Christ said, you are Peter, and on this rock, uh, uh taking that out of context, misconstruing what Messiah said, uh, but, but taking that to mean that Christ was building his church on Peter, and then after that, and I give you the keys to the kingdom. He was not just saying that to Peter. He was saying that to his disciples, those following him, not just there, but anyone who would call on Christ as Savior and Lord would be given the keys to the kingdom or authority to the kingdom, not just Peter. So Christ was not building his church on Peter. He wasn't only giving the keys to the kingdom to Peter. He wasn't establishing him as a pope long before the Catholic Church would arrive on the scene. Yes, Peter was the bishop at Rome. That does not mean that he was the head of the entire church in the earth realm. So that's what we focused on. But there was so much more to this passage. These, these verses that we read, so, so, so much more to, to look at, and that's what we're going to do right now. We are going to take a moment and take a look at verse 13. Now, let's just focus on verse 13, which reads, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, When he came into this region, okay, what does, or what is it that we want to focus on? Why in this region, why in Caesarea Philippi does this conversation happen? Why is that? I mean, aren't there other places available to, to have this specific conversation about who do men say that I am and Who do you say that I am and aren't there other places in which we can discuss that I'm going to build my church on this truth and the gates of Hades would not prevail against the church and I give you the keys to the kingdom. I mean, why in Caesarea Philippi? Well, there's a specific reason. We don't read accidents or coincidences in Scripture. There is a reason Jesus asks these questions and makes this declaration in this region specifically. First thing we want to do is we want to look in James Strong's concordance to see what is said about this specific place. Caesarea Philippi was situated at the foot of Lebanon near the sources of the Jordan in Galenitis. And it formerly went by another name, Peneus. I'm going to expound on that in just a moment. But afterward, being rebuilt by Philip the Tetrarch, it was called by him Caesarea, and clearly that is homage or a nod to a Roman figure, a Caesar. The the Philippi, well, Philip is Greek. But because the Tetrarch Philip built this, if we, if we back up some to the birth of Jesus, we know that Herod the Great, and sometime after Herod's death, we learn that the kingdom was divided amongst his children. And Philip happened to be one of his children, one of the Herods. So the Tetrarch Philip, Herod Philip, named this place after or in honor of both himself and Tiberius Caesar. Subsequently, the place was also known as Neronius by Agrippa II, another Herod, in honor of Nero, another Roman emperor. Now, is there anything else significant about this place? Absolutely. Remember in the definition I shared with you that it went by a previous name, Pineus. But first, I'd like to show you an image of the Caesarea Philippi entrance. This is our first image, image number one. Okay, this is the entrance. All right, now, the significance about this place and why Christ said what he said when and where he said it. is for the reasons that I reveal right now. Let's look at image number two. Image number two is an image of Peneus. Now remember Caesarea Philippi went by the name Peneus. So if you google uh, some images of Peneus or Caesarea Philippi, you're going to get a lot of the same images. Uh, there's one image of of water with the cave of who Peneus was named after in the background. I'm going to tell you that in just a moment as well. But this is this is Peneus And then let's look at image three. Uh, this is the cave. All right, so this is Caesarea Philippi, but of course that was the later name, the previous name Penaeus. This was a cave for pagan worship. Who was worshiped here? This site was sacred to who? Well, which god's name is in the name Penaeus? That would be the Greek god Pan. The satyr deity, the Romans called him Faunus. The satyrs actually mentioned in Isaiah 34. And the satyr was a goat-human hybrid, a, a male-human-male and goat hybrid. That was the satyr. Uh, you have the centaur, which was half man, half horse, the minotaur, half bull, half man. But the satyr was half man, half goat the romans referred to this this leading uh, uh uh divine figure as faunus the greeks referred to him as pan and as you can see his name is in the previous name of caesarea philippi Penaeus. all right so there's a lot of there's a lot of layers here or numerous layers here let's put up image number four this is the greek god pan you all are probably familiar with this image now there you see the first, uh, the upper half of his body, the, the human torso, the torso of a man. You see his lower half, his lower extremities, the legs and hooves of a goat, also the horns of a goat, and his beard was very goat-like. You, all, you can also see uh, uh, his instrument there. Pan was notorious for having this instrument with him. Pan, the image of Pan, was one of the major images that contributed to the traditional image of Satan, the traditional image of the devil, the horny goat, uh, the Baphomet, etc. So here we are in Caesarea Philippi, formerly known as Penaeus, a pagan site, in which there were those who worshipped and honored a deity that would contribute to the image of the adversary. And of course, the Bible does have a few things to say about the relationship between the goat or the ox or even the calf in relation to the adversary. He comes into this region and he asks the question, what are they saying about me? Who do they say that I am? Well, we drop down. To verse 18. And Messiah says this I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. The gates of Hades. Now, now why didn't he why didn't he why didn't he say Hades would not prevail? He says, the gates. A, a gate enables me to enter into a place as well as exit a place. Uh, Gates can also be a sign of imprisonment. So he specifically says it's the gates of Hades that will not prevail against the church. And he happens to say this in the region of Caesarea Philippi images that i, sh- I just showed you a place formerly known as Panaeus a site erected devoted to the male goat deity are there are there any other layers here absolutely let's put up let's put up image number 8 image number 8 This is a map of Mount Hermon. Now, what's significance about Mount Hermon? Oh, well, here's the significance. Where Jesus was, the images that we saw, Caesarea Philippi, Penaeus, where this conversation is happening, where these questions are going forth. This is at the foot of Mount Hermon, specifically the southwestern base of Mount Hermon. Hermon. Let's look at image nine, and this is a, a greater focus on the mount. Mount Hermon. There it is. Now, now, once again, what? okay, okay, Caesarea Philippi, this is where he is. He used to be known as Pinaeus, okay, so he's, he's, he is standing in a place where a pagan deity was worshipped, and he's declaring that the gates of Hades would not prevail against the church. Is there anything else we have to work with here? Absolutely. He was at the southwestern base of Mount Hermon. What is significant about Mount Hermon in regards to hell or evil or adversaries? How about this one? How about Mount Hermon happens to be where the watchers of Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, descended upon in the days of Jared, Enoch's father. And it would be Enoch that would give us the most detailed account of what the watchers did and what their consequences and punishments would be. And so we're going to deviate for just a second and we're going to take a look at a few scriptures in the Book of Enoch. Now, once again, you all know me, you know my get down. Whenever I bring in extra biblical books, it's for a specific reason. Especially when it comes to the Book of Enoch. We consider, we do not declare it to be, although it was in some of the original biblical autographs, along with the Apocrypha, in the Septuagint, even known as the Catholic Bible, these books are not there now. This is this absent post the Nicene Council. It's another discussion. Hmm. But it's Enoch quoted by Jude. Verses 14 and 15, Jude quotes Enoch. Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied. Jude goes on, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he goes on to record what Enoch prophesied. When we look back at the life of Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, we don't find Enoch uttering one word, not recorded in the Holy Bible. So where did you get it from? Okay, from the book of Enoch. Chapter 1, verse 9, to be exact. Oh, wait a minute, Jude, a, a church father, an epistle writer. He was familiar with the book of Enoch. Could we assume maybe that so was Paul, so was Peter, so was James? Was our Messiah familiar with the book of Enoch? Absolutely. Look at where he's standing, asking the question, who do men say that I am? The southwestern, or foot of Mount Hermon. Southwestern base, the foot of Mount Hermon. A site formerly known as Peneus, where a satyr deity, was worshipped. An image similar to the adversary of Jews and Christians alike. The adversary of God. The place where the watchers descended in the days of Jared. And we're going to go to Enoch chapter 6 right now. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And um, let's see what happens here. Enoch 6.1, it actually begins a lot like Genesis 6.1, and it came to pass. It says, when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children, or sons of heaven. See, the Bible records them as the children of heaven. The celestials were the children of heaven, the terrestrials the children of earth. This is why both were considered sons of God for the New Testament because both were creations of God. A lot of fictional writing uh, 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 presents angels as as referring to God as Father uh, and that their fellow celestials are their brethren. We see here they're called the children of the sons of heaven. It says that these angels saw and lusted after them them being who? The beautiful daughters, who were the children of men. And they said to one another, come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and beget us children. And Semyaza, who was their leader, said to them, so an angel by the name of Semyaza." Now, Semyaza, as you can see, most angels have the name of God in their name. As you can see, here it is. It's not, not an El a in the case of a Michael or Gabriel or Raphael or Uriel. But you do see the Yah, Semyaza, who was their leader, said to them. Okay, so, so we, we, we know according to Genesis 6... Here's what we're considering, Enoch. We know, according to Genesis 6, that sons of God, angels, went into daughters of men, humans. Right? Doesn't read sons of God went into the daughters of God. Doesn't read sons of men went into the daughters of men. It reads the sons of God came into the daughters of men. Now, if sons of God are angels in Job 1 6, Job 2 1, and Job 38 7, why would we think anything differently regarding Genesis 6? Verses 1-4. through So we have these sons of God, according to these four verses, that went into the daughters of men and the result happened to be hybrids, aberrations, something that was never to be created, something that was half celestial and half terrestrial. Giants were on the earth in those days, the Bible says, also afterward. But we're focusing on the days before the flood. We also know, we also know, that according to Peter, angels sinned and their punishment was to be reserved in chains awaiting for judgment. Reserved in chains in hell, the Bible says. Second Peter 2.4, the Greek word for hell there, not Gehenna, not Hades, it's not the bottomless pit, it's not Abraham's bosom, it's not uh, 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 the lake of fire. No, it's Tartarus only time we see this word in the scriptures. It's the only time hell is the Greek word Tartarus, which means there's something about this place and something about these angels and their sin. Jude backs Peter up. Jude says, and the angels who left their proper abode, their proper domain, and went after strange flesh. What would be strange to a celestial, terrestrial? And then it's the same Jude who quotes Enoch in verse 14 and 15, quoting Enoch 1-9, which tells us that there is some credibility and validity to the book of Enoch. As a matter of fact, what I have read in Enoch does not contradict the scripture.
0: That's right. That's
1: okay. Right. So, that means these sons of God, because we know there's rule and rank when it comes to the celestial creatures. The Bible teaches us this, does it not? The Bible says, Michael and his angels... That's a rule. That's, that, that's, that's, that's a ranking system. The Bible also says that, that Michael happens, happens to be one of the chief princes. In the Greek, archangel means chief angel. Okay? We also know that Gabriel, according to Luke 1, Gabriel is one who has the authority to stand in the presence of the Lord. So we know angels have rank. Okay? So here we have a group of watchers. Daniel chapter 4 refers to a group known as watchers and their job is to watch. And Semyaza happened to be the leader of these watchers. And they watched a bit too long. And watched with a bit too much detail. And therefore, verse 3 in Enoch 6 happens to be the result. Semyaza, who was their leader, said to them, I fear that perhaps you will not be willing to do this deed. He says, and I alone will have to pay the penalty, will have to suffer for this great sin. And they all answered him and said, let us swear an oath and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations not to abandon this plan. As you see, the word curse. B- abandon We bind ourselves mutually by a curse, mutual imprecations, not to abandon this plan, but to run with it. We're doing this. We're doing this deed. Now look at what Semyaza said. Semyaza basically said, I am a celestial, an angel of the Lord. And I know this is a no-no. But I'm doing it. Here's my fear. Here's my concern. Notice he doesn't say anything about the consequences of God. He knew those were coming. His fear was that he'd be by himself and that he'd have to pay the penalty of the sin alone. In other words, he was saying paying the penalty of the sin is worth it because these girls are bad. Yeah, it's not worth it, Semyaza. But look, the rest of them swear the curse, swear the imprecation, not to abandon, but to stick right with their leader and do this thing. And look at verse 6. And they were in all 200 who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. And they called it Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon because they had swore and bound themselves by mutual imprecations or by the curse upon it. And Christ just so happens to be at the foot of the mountain in which the giants descended in the days of Jared, and their sin would produce giants that when they were killed in the flood would then produce the demons frequently seen and observed in the gospel writings, having encountered the Messiah on numerous occasions. Coincidence? No. Let's look at image five. The fallen angel, Simeon, as you can see with with a woman. Now we see in Matthew 16 going back to verse 18. I'm going to build my church on this rock of truth and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In the Hebrew the word is shoal and the prophet Isaiah said, Sheol hath enlarged herself. It was also the Old Covenant, on more than one occasion, that referred to the gates of Sheol. That would be the gates of Hades. Now once again, let's ask ourselves this question. Why would the gates of Hades be any kind of an issue for the church? Let's take it one step further. Where's Hades? Hades. Where and what? Where's Hades? What is Hades? Well, according to Luke 16, the rich man, when he died and was buried, he found himself in the flame and torments of Hades. And across was Abraham and Lazarus, clearly the rest of the Old Testament righteous. What separated them was a great chasm, a great abyss, a great gulf. Now, it was Messiah who said that like Jonah was in the belly of the monster, the beast, for three days and three nights, I, the Son of Man, will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. It was David who said, you will not leave my soul in shoal, and then it was Peter who who quotes David and says, you would not leave his soul in Hades, and it was also Peter who said, David did not speak this concerning himself, but foreknew prophetically that this was referring to the Messiah. So if the Messiah's soul wouldn't be left in Hades, his soul had to be in Hades. And he said he'd be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. It was Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 8, in which we learn that from Paul that, that Christ would set the captives free, lead captivity captive, and that before he ascended, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth Hades. Lower parts of the earth, heart of the earth. His soul would not be left in Hades. Oh. And if he descended first before he ascended then that tells me that Messiah went to the same place, and the scripture reveals even more, but for sure he went to the same place that the rich man went. Now, the rich man did not have the option to come and go from Hades. So Hades, and we also learn in Revelation that Hades will be cast into the lake of fire, and brimstone, the Gehenna, the final hell, Topheth, so it sounds to me, based off everything we've just discussed, it sounds to me like Hades is a place of torment, suffering, fire. It sounds to me like Hades is a prison. And Hades is a prison in the heart of the earth. Where's the church at? The church is on the earth. So if Hades is in the heart of the earth, wouldn't it be safe to assume that the gates of Hades would be in the heart of the earth as well? And therefore, what threat would the gates of Hades or Hades itself pose to the church on the earth? And yet, what does Messiah say here in verse 18? I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock of truth that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Hmm. Now, we also see in Scripture where, where death and Hades seem to almost be synonymous or experience a oneness, and yet they each have their own identity. As a matter of fact, this word Hades in the Greek means the place or state of departed souls, the pit or the grave, right? Not a, not a ditch uh, dug or, or, or a burial place, but grave and, and uh, pit referring to hell. It's referring to the Greek deity Hades or the Roman deity Pluto, the gods of the lower regions. In Roman mythology, Pluto, like Hades lorded over Hades, In Greek mythology, Pluto over Orcus. In Roman mythology, the netherworld or the realm of the dead. Later, the use of the word Hades would be synonymous with grave, death, and hell. So, in other words, where Hades is, death is in close proximity. As a matter of fact, In order to get to Hades, you got to go through who? Got to go through death. And what if? Just what if? In this context, because you know gates. I mean, for sure we know that gates can refer to gates, the gates of a city, the gates of 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 a of a particular uh, ground. We also learn in the. Psalms that, or is it the Proverbs? The Psalms are the Proverbs in which, I believe it's the psalmist who said, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Oh, gates could be people. Gates could be people by which the adversary uses to come against the church. Maybe Messiah meant that. Or, quite possibly, in this context, the gates of hell would be death. Death would be the gates to hell. And is it possible that Messiah was saying that death will not prevail against the church? That's one to consider. And I believe that what Messiah was doing here, he, like Paul would later on do, Messiah was calling out death and hell. He was taking the fight to them. He was picking a fight. That's what he was doing. This is him being on the offense and not the defense. Because once again, Hades itself poses no threat to the church on the earth. However, however, with the gospel being what the gospel is, preached to the lost so that they will never die, salvation, that actually would be a threat to hell. That would be a threat to death as well, because anyone in Christ, well, death no longer has dominion over them. Death still has dominion over those who don't belong to God, who don't belong to Christ. And as many as reject Christ, Hades can receive them. But Messiah said that the gates would not prevail against the church. I'm building on the rock of truth that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. Mount Hermon, this this particular place, this cave of Pan at the southwestern base of Mount Hermon, the foot of Mount Hermon, is said to be one of many spots in the earth realm known as the gates of hell. Okay. Let's keep going. Let's make our way To Revelation 1, 18. We know this verse. It's very applicable to what we read in Matthew 16, verse 19. Revelation 1, let's look at verse 18, which reads what? This is Messiah speaking. I am he who lives and was dead. (laughs) Not am dead. Was dead, but I live now and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Oh, and guess what else? I have the keys of Hades and death. One of the few times we see Hades mentioned before death. He said, I have the keys of hell and death. Now, we know that when he said what he said in Matthew 16:19, not just to Peter, but all who would follow him, I give you the keys to the kingdom that meant authority. I give you the authority of the kingdom. Exusia. Well, here, what is he saying? He's saying, I now have authority over hell and death. That's why Romans 6, 9 reads, death no longer has dominion over him. He laid down his life to strip death of his authority. That's why Second Timothy 1, 10, when Paul's writing to Timothy in his second letter, he lets Timothy know Christ has abolished death. Hasn't done away with it, but he rendered it ineffective. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 2. You begin reading around verse 10, make your way through to verse 16. I believe it's verse 14, in which we find out that he, Christ, destroyed him, the devil, who had the power over death. The devil had dominion and authority over death. But Christ destroyed him who had the power, not done away with, but rendered him ineffective as well. Christ stripped Satan, death, and hell of their authority. Now, they run as rampant as they can outside of the kingdom of God. But they can no longer do what they want to those who were once in darkness but are now in light. Okay. So, here's Hades. Do we see Hades elsewhere? And do we see Hades with death? Yeah, we do. We do. Look here in in 1 Corinthians 15. I quoted this moments ago, and, and let's look at verse 54. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, those are the bodies that have gone back to the earth, corruptible, they've put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality. Those alive when the Lord appears. There's a generation that will not see death. Wow. The Lord will appear and remain in the air. His feet will not touch the ground like in his coming. Revelation 19. He appears to receive his church. Rapturo. Harpazo. Catch him up. Snatch him. Us. And what happens? Corruptible puts on incorruption. Mortality puts on immortality. Paul says, when this has happened, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? O Hades, in the traditional where it reads grave, where is your victory? He calls out death. He calls out Hades. He says, death has a sting and Hades has a victory. He says, where is it? Paul seems to be following what Christ said in Matthew 16, the gates of Hades, which we might be able to say, because once again, how do you get to Hades? How do those who have rejected the way get to Hades? they got to die. So the gates could easily be death, and that could have been Christ calling out death and hell. You will not prevail against the church. And Paul says, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Paul, you said this was written. Where was it written? This is another case of New Testament fulfillment of Old Testament prophetic utterances. And after having observed so many New Testament fulfillments, not looking exactly like the prophetic utterance, the fulfillment post-Calvary, not quite looking like in reading word for word the prophetic utterance pre-Calvary. There's a reason for that, because the prophets were only able to see so much. The church, they couldn't see it at all. Prophetically knowing a Messiah was coming. But the church was the mystery that would main, that would remain hidden until after Calvary, and it would be Paul the Apostle that would bring us the most revelation on the mystery of the church. There's only so much the prophets could see. so So look at what Hosea says, because Paul says it was written, but you cannot find these exact words in the Old Testament, but here's the closest thing you can find. Look at the prophet Hosea. We also read this one early on in the lesson. All right, Hosea. We're going to take a look at 13. Chapter 13, look at verse 12. Hosea 13, 12 through 14. Paul said, Then shall be brought the pass that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, O grave, where is your victory? Look here at the prophet Hosea, who would not have been able to fully see what Paul saw host Calvary. Look at verse 12. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. The sorrows of a woman in childbirth shall come upon him. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long where children are born. Watch this. Verse 14. Then shall be brought the pass that is saying death is swallowed up in victory. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Paul said, O death, where is your sting? Hosea says, O death, I will be your plagues. Paul says, Grave or Hades, where is your victory? Hosea says, O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. Hosea records this because this is as much as he could see. Paul saw it in its fullness on the other side of the cross. Therefore, he declared... But this is the fulfillment of what was said by the prophet Hosea. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? But look, Old Testament, New Testament, there they are together. Oh, and by the way, the Hebrew word for grave here is what? Shoal. So this reads, O death, I'll be your plagues. O shoal, I'll be your destruction. O death, Oh, hell. Old Testament, death, hell, New Testament. Paul was referring to Hosea. And there they are again, together. Messiah said that he had the keys to death and hell. Authority over them. Paul said, where's your sting? Where's your victory? Do we see them anywhere else? We do. Revelation. I wish I could show you this image, but I don't, I'll see, I'll see if there's one able to be used, but I'm not sure because the image comes from copywritten material. But if you're familiar with Crusader comics or even Chick Tracks, um, I don't, I don't vibe with everything uh, believed, but they are, they're believers. And I remember reading these comic books when I was a kid. Actually, I still have them all. These Christian comics. And in the Crusader comics, there, uh, there's a, there, one of the comics has the four horsemen on the cover. And you see all the riders. But then when you see death, you see a figure behind death. And it looks a lot like a female. Like long flowing hair made out of flames. And it comes from Revelation 6 here. And with Isaiah saying that hell has enlarged herself. Sheol has enlarged herself. Hades has enlarged herself. And then we also see what? We also see what Paul would declare in the 26th verse of 1 Corinthians. We're going to take a look at that in just a minute. But look at Revelation 6, 8. What do we see here? Are they together again? Now we have four horsemen. That should be one rider per horse. But not when it gets to the fourth. No, not death. Verse 8, so I looked and behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was death. That should be the fourth rider. Death is the fourth horseman, but that's not what we see, is it? No, behold, I looked and a a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed with them, and power was given to them, not him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Grave, pit, hell, Hades specifically, right there with death again. There's one more time in which we would see them together. But first, let's look at this. First Corinthians 15:26, Somewhat similar to what John is saying here, Regarding the fourth horseman. He said the name of him who was on the horse was death. Oh, but there was someone following him. Some say, Oh, on another horse, some place him on the horse, or her on the horse, being Hades. Power was given to them. It's like they're married. Look how many times we've we seen them together. Watch this. First Corinthians fifteen twenty-six. It reads. The last enemy, not, not the last enemies. This is before Paul says, Death, where's your sting? O Hades, where's your victory? O death, O Hades, Hosea said, O death, O shoal, O grave. But look at verse 26 in the same chapter, a few verses before. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Singular. One enemy, death. Which means I should be able to go to the end of the book and see that indeed the last enemy destroyed is death. But when I go to the end, I don't see a last enemy. I see last enemies. That in this scripture, verse 26, we're basically reading the last enemies that will be destroyed are death and Hades. But I believe it's read this way because death and Hades are one. You can't have one without the other. Which is why the gates of Hades is probably referring to death. That death in Hades would not prevail against the church. Sure, we could, we could easily say, oh, you know, I was referring to the kingdom of darkness, but, but Christ was very specific there. He didn't say that the devil would not prevail against the church. And trust me, he intended that with a plethora of other things that he said and declared. But he was focused on death and Hades in that statement, like Paul has been, like John is in Revelation. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. But we go to the end. What do we see? Revelation chapter 20. What do we see? Look at verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Because so many have what? Died at sea, they were not buried the sea buried them. So the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. No more enemies destroyed after this. So Paul was completely accurate when he said that the last enemy that would be destroyed is death, but we came to the end and we see two. But it's because they're one. That's why Hades is on the horse with death. Power was given to them. They were cast into the lake of fire, yet the last enemy that will be destroyed is death, because you can't have one without the other. The gates to Hades are death. You can't just go to Hades. You can't just purchase a ticket. You want to go to Hades? you got to reject the Messiah and then die. That's it. Die in your rejection, in, in your mockery of him. Like uh, on the Areopagus, Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. Some heard the gospel preached. The Bible says they mocked. They laughed. They rejected the message. In Acts 13, when the Jews rejected it, Paul and Barnabas said what? Well, you reject the way. Since you reject the way, you deem yourself unworthy of eternal life. Therefore, we go to the Gentiles. You rejected the way. You reject the way and you die in that rejection. Death is your gate to Hades. Last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And we see two destroyed because death in Hades, like a husband and wife, shoal hath enlarged herself. Let's look at a few more images. Let's put up image number six. And here's Hades. All right, The Romans call him Pluto. Hades, the older brother of Zeus. Uh, one part of probably the three famed Olympian deities, Hades, Zeus, and Poseidon. They actually split apart territory. Hades took the nether realm, the underworld. Poseidon took the sea. And uh, uh, Zeus took the heavens. And so we have uh, this image of Hades, this image of, of Pluto. Of course, according to Greek and Roman mythology, Hades is a male figure who, who provides oversight for the realm of the dead, known as Hades in Roman mythology, Orcus. Let's look at image number six. And there he is, Thanetus. it it, it amazes me that the majority of the images of the Greek personification or deity of death has wings. Most likely inspired by the traditional concept of the angel of death. Uh, As a matter of fact um, Terry Law who wrote uh, The Purpose of Angels, one of the main, I mean I picked apart that book and in that book, he says, one of the writings that helped inspire my book, Behind the Scene, and in that book, he says he believes that death and Hades are dark angels. There you saw the Greek god, the Greek deity of death, Thanatos, the twin brother of Hypnus, sleep, death and sleep, twin brothers according to Greek mythology, um, winged creature. That is how death was personified in Greek mythology. Let's look at image Image ten. I want to look at image ten and image eleven. Now this may be hard. Okay, image ten. I'm just going to point out some things. First, this is Greek mythology, mind you. This is Greek mythology. Okay, you can see uh, uh, Tartarus up there. Now remember, Tartarus in 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 Christian in the Christian faith, Tartarus is the realm of the imprisoned angels. In Tartarus are 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 celestial creatures imprisoned. Well, according to Greek mythology, in Tartarus are the Titans. The Titans were the fathers and aunts and uncles of the Olympian deities. And, and when the Olympians won, they imprisoned them in a realm deeper than Hades called Tartarus, overseen by Tartarus. That water right there, Oceanus. Oceanus was a Titan, right, a primori- primordial deity. Um, and so you can see, let me see see if I can pull this up a little, a little better on my. There we go. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can look at this image and all right. So you can see, you see the palace of Hades. That's that, that, uh, orange cantaloupe looking color place. Alright, and then beyond the palace of Hades is the Elysian fields leading to Elysium. I don't want to talk too much about Elysium now because we'll we'll discuss Elysium when we get to the heaven portion of this lesson. But Elysium was the realm of the honored heroes, right? In Norse mythology, they call it Valhalla. Alright, you you can see, uh, uh, if you look at the light gray river in the middle, that's the river Styx. Right, the ferrymen would, 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 when, when, when the, uh, they would die in Greek mythology, they placed two coins on the eye so the ferryman, Sharon, would be paid. Right, you see it in the movie Troy with, with Brad Pitt and Eric Banya placing two coins on the eyes. Uh, the reason why Achilles was almost invulnerable is because his mother dipped him in the river Styx. The only part that was not dipped in the river Styx was his Achilles. She held him by his Achilles' heel, dipped him in the river. He became invulnerable on every other part of his body except his Achilles' heel, which is how he was killed by Paris of Troy. And of course, uh, today, an Achilles' heel refers to what? To a weakness. Okay, and then look at uh, uh, image 11. All right, right there in the, in, the, in the on the screen in the upper left-hand corner, that's Sharon's Ferry. That's that's the ferryman. Uh, drop down, you see Cerberus. Cerberus was the three-headed dog, all right, guarding. Three heads, not accidental. Guarding the gates to Hades. That blue water to the left where Sharon's Ferry is is the river Styx. Um, you see the entrance to Tartarus on the bottom right. You see Hades' palace right above that. Right there in the middle, there's... There's Elysium. Like I said, we'll talk about that later. Fields of punishment, fields of asphodel, walls of Erebus. Uh, this is all Greek mythology, and this is how the underworld is 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 viewed. Uh, and this is just Greek mythology. We're not talking even talking about Egyptian mythology, Scandinavian mythology, uh, 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 Babylonian and, and Assyrian mythologies. All have, as a matter of fact, most of those older civilizations greatly influenced Greek mythology. So, um, let's just throw up image 12 real quick and then we'll end there. The grotto of the God Pan. This is, this is very close to the image, um, that I wanted to, to show you. This is good. So there's the water. And I believe that water is actually leading into the cave of Pan. So, um, I think we're probably done with Hades. I believe next week we're going get, to get on Gehenna, talk about the Lake of Fire, uh, the Valley of Hinnom, Tophet. It's the final hell, the Lake of Fire and Brimstone, where not just your soul and spirit suffer, but your body as well. God is able to destroy both body and soul in the Gehenna, not Hades. And then after that, we'll start talking about the heavens. Okay. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is life and truth. It will not, it cannot return to you void, but it will accomplish that which is set out to do. It will prosper in that for which it was sent. And I thank you right now. Indeed, the seed of the word that is incorruptible has gone forth. It has been planted into the hearts of those watching and listening. And I thank you, Father, because we declared early on, these are hearts of good ground, that the seed of the word sown into their hearts will produce in their hearts, visibly seen in their lives because your word be, because your word accomplishes where you send it and it prospers where it is sent. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making these invitations. I'll mention in a moment available to those watching and listening. If you do not know Christ, you can know him today, you can know him tonight. If you do not or have not been filled with the holy spirit you can be filled the only requirement is that you're born of the spirit born again amen and the disciples needed to be filled not to be saved they were already saved but they needed to be filled to fulfill their earthly assignments how much more do we need to be filled almost two thousand years removed from the day of pentecost having fully come okay so repeat after me for salvation saying dear god you said in your word, if I would confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that you've raised him from the dead, I would be saved. You said whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, on this day, I do now confess and I do now believe that he is Lord that he took away the sin of the world and that you raised him from the dead. I'm now a part of his church, his kingdom, his family. He is my head, my savior, my Lord. I am your child. You are my father, and I'll serve you all the days of my life. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. To be filled with the Spirit, simply repeat after me, saying, Heavenly Father, I see in your word the early church first disciples, whom did not go forth preaching the gospel until they were filled with power from heaven, or received power from heaven. They were filled with the Spirit. They spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Like them on that day, by faith, I received the gift of the Spirit. I am now filled with the Spirit. I too have received my heavenly language. Most importantly, I'm now a witness for the king and for the kingdom. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. If you have prayed these prayers for the very first time, you're in the family of God.
0: And saints, it is just that simple. If you prayed that prayer, you are in the family of God. You do not have to perform any rituals. And uh, we are on the same page. Like the Apostle Paul said, that there should be no divisions among us. And we should all be teaching the same judgment. If you are not in Christ, you are not saved. Those who have not accepted the Messiah are condemned already. Now, of course, it is very difficult for some people to hear God's word of judgment. And then it is to hear his words of grace and mercy. However, it is our responsibility as teachers to, to share them both. Absolutely. But we love you. I can tell you, uh, Fred Price Jr., he is pastor. He is a teacher. He's also a doctor. He has his doctorate. He's been ordained to be a teacher at um, Crenshaw Christian Center and for Increasing Faith Ministry. I can tell you, he is such a loving and kind young man. He's in his early 40s and he loves you, but he does not sugarcoat these scriptures just like we are not supposed to. And I will say this again, you cannot live for the world and then claim to be representing Jesus Christ. Something is not right with that picture, saints. Now, remember, I will be back on March the 20th sharing another episode or possible series, entitled, Why Do Christians Die Before Their Time?" Now, next week, I just might share a message I heard by Bishop T.D. Jakes. I just might share that. So until next time, peace out. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, you can contact us by emailing talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. If you would like to sow a seed in this growing ministry, you may access the front page on the podcast you are listening to and click on the support button. Or you can cash out the ministry at dollar sign Dr. Kamala D., That is at dollar sign, capital D, lowercase R, capital C, lowercase A-M-A-L-E, capital D, and donate any amount. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver, and so do we. So until next time, believers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not the word of man. We walk by faith and not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, serving you with Christ Jesus, our Lord, in peace and love. I thank each of you for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Peace out.